with thankful hearts that we can worship You. The One who has saved us by sending His only begotten Son to die for our sins and also to give us a righteousness that we could not earn. We thank You, Father, that we can think upon Him not only during this season that we are in, but each and every day and each and every Lord's Day we gather together to worship the God-man, the incarnate one, the one who came to save His people from their sins. And we pray, Father, that as we study Your Word today, that You would give us insight and understanding to be able to receive it and rightly apply it to our life. We pray, Father, for Your mercy and Your grace to sustain us as You have, even through this past week, the death of my mother. We pray for those, Father, who are unable to be with us today because of illness, and we pray that Your healing hand would be upon their bodies and restore their health quickly. We pray for those who are away with family and worshiping elsewhere today. Pray that you would give them safety and bring them back to us quickly. We pray, Father, that all that we would do as we're together, together with family this week would be pleasing to you and that Christ would be exalted in all that we say. We pray, Father, that as He is exalted, that people would see who He truly is, that He is able to save them from their sins, and that many would come to know Him as Lord and Savior. And this we pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Micah, that small Old Testament Prophecy, Jonah, Michael, Nahum. Of course, those that are in Bible drill, you knew that. I think all of us might be blessed if we joined the Bible drill team and learned the books of the Bible in their order. But Micah chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Micah 5, beginning with verse 1. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughters of troops, he has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that he, she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. 
when the Assyrians come into the, our land and when he treads in our palaces and then will rise against them seven shepherds and eight priestly men. There are over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus Christ. It begins there in Genesis 3:15, where the gospel is first presented, speaking of what Christ would come, the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. All the way to the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And the message of the Savior was given in many ways throughout the Old Testament so that Israel might look forward to the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one that is able to redeem man from his sins. There's 12 Old Testament passages that refer to his birth. But there's only one that states that he would be born in Bethlehem. And this proclamation, which was made 700 years before his birth by the prophet Malachi, shows us again how amazing the Bible is. How amazing that these prophecies of Christ, some 350 all, have been fulfilled in Christ. Micah's prophecy limits the possibility of any other village. This tiny village, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and the reason why it has Ephrathah there is because there was another Bethlehem in the northern part, so therefore it must distinguish between the two. And after a span of seven centuries, Micah's prophecy was fulfilled and Bethlehem became the birthplace of Jesus. Israel firmly believed that the Messiah would come one day and that the Messiah would establish his kingdom as foretold by the prophets. And the New Testament writers simply confirm that Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies, pointing out that he was the Messiah. Matthew and Paul quote more Old Testament prophecies than any other writer, proving the truth of this promise. Now, the name Christ simply means anointed one. The Hebrew word is translated Messiah. The Hebrew verb is to anoint. And you know that in the Old Testament, kings and prophets and priests were anointed. As one pointed out in previous sermon, the term Messiah is closely related to the idea of kingship. The prophets proclaimed that the Messiah would be a king, that he would be the king of kings. He would be greater than David. And of course, Israel always looked to David as the greatest king of all. He would also be a deliverer. 
one who would deliver his people. Charles Wesley, in the hymn that we sang this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, speaks of his greatness. Christ, by highest heaven adore, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, held incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. This hymn is loaded with prophecies about who Christ is and what he came to do. One of those prophecies, of course, was Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. Now, that in itself tells us something. It tells us that the birth of Christ was supernatural. Because a virgin does not have children. But we see here in Scripture that the Scripture tells us that a virgin will have a child and will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. So Wesley hymn taken from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 reveals to us both the humanity and the deity of Christ and is revealed in that hymn. His humanity is all about the virgin Mary. Becoming pregnant. Now, how did she become pregnant? Well, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, the Scripture tells us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that brought about Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary. So therefore, His divinity is all about His incarnation. God becoming man. A great mystery to us. Emmanuel, God is with us. It's interesting that the name Micah means who is like Yahweh. So the name who is like Yahweh pronounces that Yahweh will be born in the flesh in Bethlehem. Now Micah was a prophet in the time of the kings of Joham, Asa, and Hezekiah in the southern kingdom. At this time, there was both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, of course, was Judah. And Micah prophesied there in Judah. And he prophesied against the sin of Israel, against their idolatry. He also prophesied against King Ahab, who was of the northern kingdom, a great, sinful, wicked man. And he prophesied it against the, uh, the proper property that had been wrongly seized. And you know that King Ahab wrongly seized property from Naboth. He also prophesied against the corruption of the priest and the government leaders for they allowed the people to go deeper and deeper in sin without restraining them in any way. 
He also prophesied against the prophets, many of the prophets, because they were not doing what they themselves were supposed to be doing. And he tells that they will fall into captivity due to their sin. But then he also speaks of the shepherd king who would gather his remnant. He would be the new David. He would be the shepherd of his people. And he would come and he would deliver his people. So they were preparing for this deliverance that would come. The one that is to come will come, as the Scripture tells us, in strength of the Lord and will be their peace. And His greatness will continue, as we see there, until the ends of the earth. Now Micah ends with the question in chapter 7, Who is a God like you? We sing a hymn based on that particular phrase there. Now, though Micah wasn't a famous prophet, I guess you would say, or we call now major minor prophets, was not a major prophet, he was at the same time of Isaiah, who was in the northern kingdom, as well as uh, Hosea. Both of them were prophesying in the northern kingdom. But we see that he, he had a strong impact upon King Hezekiah. In Jeremiah 26, verse 18, the elders quote him and they indicate that his words had an influence on Hezekiah to where he used his words to bring the people back to God. Now this is what a pastor should desire. Fruit to be bored in the heart of the people as a result of what he preaches from the pulpit. Especially those who have power like Hezekiah did. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful that we had government leaders who had pastors who would preach the truth to them and they would heed the truth and then they would turn around and make laws according to God's truth. That's what we desire. We desire for Christian men to be in government offices and to rule this nation in a manner that is pleasing to God according to God's Word. And as a result of Micah's preaching God's Word, that happened under Hezekiah. Now Matthew and Luke reveal that the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. Luke, of course, records how the angel appeared to Mary and said, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. Now, of course, like anybody would, she asked this question, How shall this be, seeing that I'm not with a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest overshadow thee before that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So the Old Testament proclaims it, and the New Testament confirms it. Jesus was consumed supernaturally. He was not mere man, He was the God-man incarnate in the flesh. 
And we see that Micah's prophecy is fulfilled according to what Luke says there in Bethlehem. Now, most of you know the word Bethlehem is what? House of bread. And Jesus was what? The bread of life. Now, there were some very famous biblical characters from Bethlehem. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. Naomi returned to Bethlehem and brought her daughter-in-law, or her daughter-in-law wanted to come back with her, her name being Ruth. And of course, Ruth married Boaz. And down through their lineage came who? David. King David, born in Bethlehem. And we know from the Scriptures that's why they went to Bethlehem, because they were of the house of Bethlehem to register. The Old Testament prophecies had a historical context. And the application at that particular time was given. But there was a much deeper and more important fulfillment of those prophecies. And Paul wrote, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. So we see that in God's timing, He fulfills this prophecy that Micah gives us. And the New Testament writers knew that these ancient promises of the Old Testament had come true in the birth of Christ. Now around the time of the birth of Jesus... Many Jews had been long waiting for the Messiah to come. This is confirmed in Luke 2, 30-32. On the eighth day, Jesus was taken to the temple to be circumcised. And while He was at the temple, He met two individuals there. Or I should say Mary and Joseph with Jesus carrying Him. Met two individuals that Simeon, who we see there, praise God that he was allowed to see the Messiah. He had that understanding. God gave him the privilege to see the Messiah. And he knew without a shadow of doubt that this was the Messiah. As well as Anna, the prophet herself, the prophetess. It says, she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So likewise, she understood that this was the Redeemer that would bring redemption to all in Jerusalem who looked to Him. Now, of course, as we read just a moment ago, there in Matthew, we see the inclusion of Magi, wise men from the east, who asked, where is He born who is King of the Jews? For we have seen His star in the east and are come to worship Him. And we see there in verses 3 through 6, it tells us that Herod was troubled. He was worried. And he asked the scholars to tell him, where is the Christ to be born? And they didn't hesitate to give him an answer. Everyone knew. And they quoted Micah 5, 2, speaking of the Messiah. The verse in Micah continues. 
whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting, which can be translated from days of eternity. So we see that Micah also proclaims that this one to be born is from eternity, and only God is from eternity. Not only was he Emmanuel, God is with us, as predicted by Isaiah, but here we learn that he existed in all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was no ordinary man. He was both God and man in one person. We accept that by faith, even though it's a mystery to us. To answer why Matthew states this, we have to understand the situation as far as Herod and his response to the wise men, which is most interesting when it says that he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Let us consider all who have already recognized Christ. We see in Luke chapter 2, verse 15, the angels saw and heard. Did I say angels? Shepherds. I think I said angels, didn't I? The shepherds, considering the shepherds. They saw and heard the glorious things from the angels concerning him. And as a result of what they heard, they quickly went and they worshipped him. And then they made it known abroad. Now when I hear that, they made it known abroad, I can't help but wonder then why in the world did not others go and worship Him? Why didn't others? All we have are these shepherds on this particular occasion worshiping Him. But they made it known. I'll come back to that in a minute. Of course, we have Simeon and Anna, which I just mentioned, that met him there at the temple, and they praised God for who he was and what he would do. But again, you would think that those who heard this news would have sought to find him and worship him likewise. But we see that there is no record of anyone else going and visiting Jesus and Mary and Joseph except these magi, these wise men from the east. Matthew Henry says, Nothing will awaken those that are resolved to be regardless. Oh, the amazing stupidity of these Jews. The amazing stupidity, or you could say, the amazing blindness. Their eyes were not open. See, this reveals to us the deadness of men. The hardness of man's heart when he is left to himself. When he's left to himself, he cannot see. He cannot understand. And many Jews had given up on expecting the Messiah. It had been since the prophecy of Micah 700 years. So it's easy to see why they had given up. It also shows us that they really did not believe, even though they were a Jew, 
even though they were religious, they did not really believe. Because if they really believed, they would have never given up. They were tired. They were weary. All of the visions that had happened, even between the Old Testament and New Testament, of 400 years had passed. Now we see that Herod was troubled because he feared this one who the Magi called a king. He didn't want another king coming into his territory. He didn't want someone taking over his throne, so he feared losing his kingdom and being deposed. So therefore, he saw that he must take action. He, of course, had no right to the kingship that he held. He was not even a Jew. He was a foreigner. He was appointed by the Roman Senate to be king. And Herod reigned from 37 A.D. to 4 B.C. before his son took the throne. He came into Jerusalem himself with Roman army and had his predecessor executed and set up his throne and continued his friendly relationship with Rome. But it also says all of Jerusalem. Why was all of Jerusalem troubled? It seems like Jerusalem would have been excited to hear that the Messiah was coming and that he would be king. Well, it shows that their concern that they did not know how Herod would respond. They eventually knew and saw his jealousy and his cruelty. They probably feared war. Division lost of the privilege and the powers that they had. Most had lost their true notion for the Messiah as a spiritual king, savior, and redeemer. Now this fulfills the prophecy also of Genesis 49.10. Remember, Jacob blessed his sons, and Judah was one of his sons. And it says in verse 10, The sepulcher will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So kings would continue to come from the line of Judah until the king Messiah came. He points out that they shall be distressed and troubled. Their hearts shall melt like wax within them, which was their present case when they heard just as Herod. John Calvin says, Herod was not unacquainted with the prediction which promised to the Jews a king who would restore their stressfulness affairs of their prosperous condition. He was thoroughly acquainted with their affairs. Besides, the report was spreading everywhere and could not be unknown to the neighboring nations. Yet he is troubled 
as if the matter had been new and unheard of because he put no trust in God and thought it idle to rely on the promise of a Messiah and particularly because with the foolish confidence of proud men, he imagined that the kingdom would be, was secure to himself and his descendants. But though in the intoxication of prosperity, he was formerly accustomed to view the prophecies with scorn. And of course he did. But now he's alarmed. He could not stand the thought of someone else taking his throne. He worshipped only himself. And he was not going to allow someone to grow up and take his place. Now it's interesting because he had already ruled for 37 years and he was around 67 years old. Now at that time you didn't live up until your 90s and longer. So if you think about that, as far as Christ's birth at this time, he would have been at 13, Christ at 13, he would have been 80 years old. So kind of wonder why in the world was he even worried? But he was, he was troubled. And we see there in verse 4 that Herod gathered the priests and the scribes to inquire from them where he would be born. Because it was common knowledge though. So he wanted assurance, even though it was common knowledge, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now all the way back to Genesis 49.10 and Micah 5.2, which we read, this information had been stated by the prophets. And most believed that he knew this, but he wanted to confirm it, even though he questioned it. So these scribes quickly quoted to him Micah 5.2. Now we see in verse 7 that Herod has this private meeting with these wise men so that he might be able to obtain as much information as he could from them. Here we see Herod is a typical politician. He's one of the biggest hypocrites we find in Scripture. Acting as if he is really interested in finding and worshiping the newborn king. Of course, we know that he was not interested in worshiping the Messiah. Using the time that he obtained from the wise men, there we see in verse 16, he had all the children to and under put to death after they did not return and give him where the child was born. He had been deceived by the Magi and they, of course, did not realize how wicked he was until... The Spirit of God, the angel of God, told them not to return. Now there in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him back to me, or bring word back to me, 
that I may come and worship him also. Now here, we see what a fool Herod was. Thinking he would be able to destroy this child. God had ordained the things that would happen. And we see that God had also ordained what He did. He allowed him to carry out the wickedness that was in his heart. And that was one of the reasons why the wise men were not allowed to return to him. Because in his anger and his jealousy, he had all the children killed two years and under to fulfill the prophecy that was given as far as her crying as a result of that. Now we also see the fulfillment of Scripture in that particular passage. We see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And he changes the time and the season, and he removes kings and raises up kings. He didn't realize that God had already appointed his time of death that took place, and we see in this particular passage there in Matthew chapter 2, that God had ordained that while Jesus, Mary, and Moses were in Egypt, that he would die, and he died in 4 AD. Now as we think about Jesus as king of king, our response shouldn't be like that of Herod, who was jealous, self-centered, hungry for power. But we should be like his parents, Mary and Joseph, who humbled himself and said, whatever your will is, Lord, I will do. Of course, this reminds us that very religious people, even those who possess a great heritage and revelation and scripture and covenant and promise, they can also be spiritually blind to the truth. We see that in those scribes who gave Herod the news. It doesn't matter how great the light is. If man does not have eyes to see it, he cannot see it. The Gentiles, the scripture tells us, have seen the light. But at this time, Israel did not. Except for the shepherds, except for Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph were rejoicing at the coming of Messiah for which they had been waiting the wise men had traveled many miles to see this one born of the king. They had been led by the star. Now, a lot of times we don't truly understand some of the passages in Scripture and because of how it's interpreted in programs that are put on and star and all that. And people think, well, there was a star immediately over Christ when he was born. Well, that's not the case. There was a star that led the wise men to Jesus, and they followed the star. God created that star for them to follow. And as it says in Scripture, it rested over where Jesus was. Again, the timetable that we normally think of, Jesus two years and under because Herod had all the children murdered two years and under. So we assume that it must have taken him two years to get there. 
Well, that's an assumption. If you think about what took place as far as afterwards, as far as Jesus and Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem on the eighth day and the other things that transpired, it could have been much shorter than that. They could have left much earlier. They could have been actually guided by the star before Christ was even born. We don't know because Scripture does not tell us that. Now again, one of the reasons why we think it's um, much later is because the word house is used and they came to the house. Well, the Greek word actually there used for house is household, which it does not mean that they were in a house. They could have been in a house. But household, in other words, the household of Mary, Joseph, and the babe. We don't know the time frame of when the wise men got there. We would just simply be speculating. But the important thing is, is how God did it, how God brought them, how God opened their eyes to see this star and for them to follow this star all the way to where Christ was. Now, the interesting thing is the star evidently for a little while stopped or disappeared because they went to Jerusalem and they asked, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? And then what does it say? Then it says again that the star led them to the place to where he is born. So that's interesting also. But what we see here is that unless God opens the eyes for someone to see, to follow after Christ, they cannot follow after Him. The wise men saw. See, spiritual blindness is real. We are spiritually able to see if we have been born again. We're able to see what Christ has accomplished for us. We're able to recognize that He is the Messiah. Why don't all people recognize that He is the Messiah? Because they're blind, spiritually blind to these truths. There's many today who are, begin, who are getting ready to have time with their family and, and celebrate what they think would be Christmas. But they're spiritually blind. They have no understanding of the birth of Christ. They have not bowed their knee to Him and worshipped Him because they do not see Him as the Messiah. They do not see Him as the Son of God. Only when you come to see Him for who He is, will you worship Him. I shared at the funeral Friday how my mother shared with me after I had followed Christ in believer's baptism. I uh, had joined the church at nine, but was not truly converted, as I've shared before, till much later in my life. And I came to realize that. And at 27, I was baptized. And my mother, shortly after that, came and said, you know, I've been thinking about what you have done. And I've come to realize that my life, similar to what you shared. She said, I really didn't enjoy going to church Especially on Sunday night. Now, I don't know why. I never asked her why she said especially on Sunday night. Maybe because Walt Disney was on on Sunday night. I don't know. But anyway, especially on Sunday night. But she said there did come a time in my life where that changed. And I had a desire to worship God on Sundays 
Both services. Of course, what changed? Well, her eyes were open. Her eyes were open to see Christ. And when your eyes are open to see who Christ is, then you automatically want to worship Him. That's why these shepherds worshipped Him. That's why Anna and Simeon worshipped Him. That's why the wise men worshipped Him. Their eyes were open to who Christ was. If you have not, you are not any in principle any different than Herod or the religious leaders or the people of Jerusalem in that day. You have the same nature as them if you do not bow before Christ and worship Him. In Micah 7, it closes with these words. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because His delight is mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Do you hear what the prophet's saying? He's saying, who is like God? That He would forgive sin. Remember what He said at the very beginning, if you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. That's what we all deserve because we all have sinned. But yet it tells us here, who is like Him, who's willing to pardon iniquity, who's willing to pass over transgressions of the remnant of His heritage. He does not retain His anger forever. Because why? Because it says He delights in mercy. God delights in showing mercy to sinners and to subdue our iniquities and to cast, as He said there, all of our sins into the depths of the sea. How marvelous, how wonderful that is to know that every single sin we have committed, that if we look to Christ and to Christ alone, that all of our sins are cast into the depths of the sea and remembered no more. That is more than I can comprehend. But I believe it. And I know it's true. Because this book has told us that it's true. And Christ went to the cross to prove that it is true. He paid our debt. He took all of our sins upon Himself to where they're no longer held against us. And God has shown us pardon. He has shown us mercy. And our sins are remembered no more. As the Scripture says, 
You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Have you experienced that today? Have you truly experienced being saved from your sins to where you no longer want to sin anymore? You want to live for him and experience in receiving his righteousness so that you are accepted by our Heavenly Father. What more appropriate time to come to Christ than at this time of year when He who came to save people from their sins and offer salvation freely to all people. May God open your eyes to this truth. Let us pray. Father God, we praise You. We adore You. We thank You for sending Your only begotten Son to save your remnant, your people, from their sins. And as the prophet said, who is a God like you? Oh, how we praise you. For we know that there is no God like the true and living God who came up with this great plan of salvation to send His only begotten Son to be incarnate, to be the God-man, to dwell among sinful men, and to keep the law, and to have a perfect life, not for Himself, but for His people. How wonderful. How glorious. And we pray, Father, that today would be the day of salvation for those who do not.